0: Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters Show with your host, Joel Zaslavsky. Can you really grow where you are, wherever you are? I know a man who says yes, and the possibilities are downright fascinating. This is episode number 83. Yo, what's up and howdy, duty friend. I am grateful that you're with me for your first, your latest, or 83rd episode of the show. That'd be really cool if it's your 83rd episode. I'm playing around with the format and sequence of these episode intros, so if you're thinking, Joel, uh, what in nation are you doing, dude, let's take some time to have the newness sink in a little bit. First up, I want to give a special thanks to our show's patrons on Patreon, also known as the people who make my investments of hundreds of hours, thousands of dollars, and consistency for Smart and Simple Matters Possible. So let's give some kudos to Susan, Felix, and Anne. Sweet, sassy, molassie, you three. You make me happy. I would love to see your ranks swell. And as always, this episode is brought to you by my voice, and our Patreon supporters. That's because I don't have any sponsors. I just have you. So consider showing your support for me, this show, and our community at valueofsimple.com slash Patreon. Now then, I have something plenty nice to say about an Australian listener with the iTunes handle of hodgepodgeoz, who recently left me this review. The title? Uh, the title made me feel super sweet. It was Spreadsheet Dude with Plenty to Give. Uh, Hodgepodge Oz, you know me so well. Uh, <laughs> here's, here's what uh, was written. Joel's engaging and dry wit make this podcast an enjoyable listen. He's into simplifying and sharing his tips to get you thinking about ways to improve your life. His guests are varied, but I like it best when it's Just Joel. His passion and knowledge of the subject matter makes you want to delve deeper down all the rabbit holes his show notes provide. I like some good show notes. As we say in the U.S., hodgepodge, eyes. thanks. And as I understand they say in Australia, goodness gracious, thanks a ton. All right, so what's up with me as of mid-September 2015? Man, wow. Uh, So so much. My wife Melinda and I just celebrated our 10 year wedding anniversary. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've been together for 16 and a half years now. Had a wonderful Saturday. My parents came over, hung out with our little dudes. We went for a long walk in a park in downtown Minneapolis and just had a wonderful meal. It was fantastic. I'm looking forward to the next till approximately the rest of my life with Melinda. Honey, I love you. Yeah, I know. I just did that on a podcast episode. I'm going to do it again sometime. I know. You love it, too. Uh, On a crazy sad note, though, a friend of mine, Scott Dinsmore, of Live Your Legend, uh, recently died hiking up—you don't really hike. You climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Some falling rocks uh, came, and I'm not quite sure about the rest of the details, but um, caused his death— This one has hit me really hard, and I could go into it more. I may even do a future podcast episode as a tribute to Scott, everything that he's done for me, uh, what he's meant to me, what he's meant to so many of my friends who I've met through Scott. It's, it's wow. Uh, still, Still trying to find the words. If you ever get an opportunity to watch Scott's TEDx or just look into what an amazing, amazing human being he was, I strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, On the good side, though, we now have over 300,000 total downloads for the show. 300,000? Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that, and you know what? That's all you, baby. That's all you. (laughs) Hot diggity. I am grateful for your support to hit this big milestone together. You feeling this verbal hug I'm giving you? Mmm. The last thing is Simple Rev 2015, and that's a big thing. Uh, it's my last episode before the Simple Rev 2015 event goes down in Minneapolis, Minnesota on October 2nd and 3rd. It is shaping up to be stellar. I cannot tell you how awesome it is to see the Simple Living community rally around this event. It's going to be intimate. We're going to have about 60 folks for two days of workshops and peer conference events and just togetherness and sharing and learning, but wow. Wow, I'll tell you more after it goes down, but I am super duper excited about this one. Now, as for the core episode itself, I have to tell you, I learned more in this one than just about any other podcast episode, including all the ones where I wasn't the host. Seriously, I've probably listened to, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000 podcast episodes over the course of the last four or five years, and this one. This one. Uh, my guest, Eugene Cook, is going to straight up wow you at least two, no, oh, okay, nope, at least three times. And I'd love it if you would keep count, maybe even well, let me know on Twitter or somewhere else how many times you quietly thought, dang, that was hot. You'll hear us explore why the people who spoke the least influenced Eugene the most. The difference between having abundant food and having a food abundance system. How to simply and powerfully bring a community together through growing food. And then and then I try to pronounce hoogle culture and the wheels come off. <sighs> you ready to do this thing with me? Yeah, I know you are. Here we go. Goodness gracious! I'm uh, I'm on the excited side of things right now because I have the man behind Grow Where You Are, a dynamite full service social enterprise in the local food systems habitat for this episode. Eugene Cook is a lot of things and has done a ton of stuff, but these days he primarily partners with organizations and individuals to bring food abundance to communities that value real food. He helps design, install, and maintain public and private spaces where food is produced using agroecological principles, often in urban areas. Really excited to chat about that. Uh, And with his Gebsite initiative, he's helping people grow their own food at homes, schools, churches, community centers, and parks. Man, uh, this guy is a painter, a husband, a father, and even, get this one, mama. Uh, M-A-M-A, as an Earth Team member. He's been all over L.A. and Texas, Atlanta, Kenya, Haiti, Jamaica, and now he's here with us. Welcome to the show, Eugene. Thank you, Joel. It's a pleasure to be with you. Cool. Well, let's start where we always start a Smart and Simple Matters conversation with something I call the seeds of awesomeness, which, before we started recording, I said, this is perfect. This is perfect. The seeds of awesomeness. I have a farmer. Somebody who knows seeds intimately, and you get, you're get you the first person who has such great knowledge of actual seeds to talk about your seeds of awesomeness. So to help people understand how you came to be the person you are today, can you tell us something unique about your environment as a youth, or maybe even one or two experiences you had growing up that had a big impact?
1: Mm, yeah, uh, I think that's that's a great space to start. Because for me, the thing that was unique about my experience, I, I was growing up in suburban Southern California, um, a small town, a small city called Cerrillos, right outside of Long Beach and Compton and Carson. And, um, that was a pretty tr- traditional suburban upbringing. I had my sister and my mother and my father in the house, and they always had me tending to a garden on the side of the house. But what was unique was that every couple summers, we'd go visit my maternal grandparents in, in Kansas, and they were on an 80 acre farm. And that experience of visiting them on the farm during those summers where there would only be TV up until 10 o'clock at night and they'd play the national anthem and TV would go off and they only had three channels out there anyway. And we had a pump and we had all these animals having sex outside my window and and (laughs) looking out at these tornadoes and thunderstorms over these fields. That kind of impacted me and then I'd come back after two or three weeks out there and I'd be back on my skateboard skating to the liquor store to buy a Snickers and a, and a Pepsi Cola or whatever. And merging those two really diverse worlds became something that I'm fascinated by in my art and, and in my work and in my family experience. Just merging these different worlds is, is something that's
0: impacted me quite heavily. Well, I think the Pepsi and Snickers skateboard world is something that a lot of people are familiar with, but being on an 80-acre yeah. farm in Kansas with nothing around, that's an environment where most folks aren't. Can you paint a picture for us a little bit? When you were there growing up on your grandparents' farm, what did you do?
1: Mm. See, this is what was really interesting, Joel, is my, my, my maternal grandfather was a very interesting mix of a lot of different cultures, a, a very strong African bloodline, a very strong, um, my my maternal grandmother had a very strong Eastern European and Western European bloodline, and then there was Native American bloodline all mix, mixed in there, and when I would be on that farm, um, I just spent a lot of time doing the work of, that, just kind of following my grandfather around, which meant getting up really early working with the chickens, working with the pigs, working with the ducks, and then going around and checking the the garden, checking the the larger farm acreage. And both my grandfather and my Uncle Buster, who lived on on the farm with them, were men who did not speak much at all, but they were always doing something, and they were always doing something interesting. They were always um, doing mechanical things, or my grandfather kind of traveled around with a little gun because of water moccasins and things like that. So what I learned from them was the power of observation, the power of just coming to a space, being quiet, listening, observing, and really choosing your words when they're necessary and being okay with the silence. That's something that I I, I was learning, but I didn't really integrate until I became a father um, myself, you know?
0: Being okay with the silence? Do, do you get silence yeah, as a father okay of three silence. children?
1: <laughs> 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 or, or hoping to teach them to be okay with the silence, oh, yeah. because it just are, every new idea that comes to their mind they're they're speaking it out, and sometimes it takes a lot of uh example. My grandparents and my and my uncle they showed me by example like how to move through nature quietly so that you can actually receive and not be so much about transmitting your energy but receiving energy and receiving information.
0: What do you mean by that, receiving information from nature?
1: Well, there's so much, there's so much that's being communicated to us at, at all times. Everything is coming through sound vibrations. So when we, are, when we quiet ourselves and we become receptive and we start to listen, then you can hear thunder that's way off in the distance. You know, my grandfather could hear a storm coming. He could smell it coming. And now while I'm farming here in Atlanta, I can be driving through a busy atlanta neighborhood and you can feel the three or four degree temperature change in the middle of the summer when a summer storm is coming this wind will come through real subtly and it'll be about three or four degrees cooler and in about 40 minutes here comes a thunderstorm but you get the warning if you're paying attention but if you're driving around with your windows rolled up and you got air conditioner on you got the radio going then all these subtle communications that nature is trying to tell you like here here comes this thunderstorm you don't you don't hear it you don 't pick up on it, and then everything is we're being caught by surprise and when we look at these huge changes in climate we've been getting these same communications you know for the last twenty years mm-hmm. we've get, been getting communications from nature that the scientific community is picking up on some of them, you know looking at the melting of the glaciers or looking at the rises in sea levels or looking at the rises in temperatures this is all communication that many of the first the first nations of the of the world have said hey We've been watching this for years. We've been watching the stars for years. We've been watching the migration of these birds for years. There's some major changes happening, and we need to pay attention to it.
0: Yeah, or the severe droughts that they're having back where you used to be in L.A. Oh, yeah. All, oh And it's my- not just in L.A. and California. I mean, it's across a huge part of the western United States. Let's actually, let's go back there for just a brief moment. So yes, it's, it's L.A. It's about 2006. Um, you meet a fella named Rashid Nuri. And you plan together and you come up with, you think, hey, we're going to go to Atlanta. We're going to do this thing called Truly Living Well Center for Nature Urban Agriculture. I'm just trying to bring people into the present so that they get a picture of in terms of where you come from and how you got to be the cultural and local force that you are right now, and which we're going to explore a little bit. Can you tell us about that experience roughly a decade ago in terms of creating this Truly Living Well Center?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Truly Living Well was a, a really innovative Idea and um, Rashid Nuri had years of working with the USDA, and by the time I met him, actually when I was work, I was kind of serving in a an internship under a, a gentleman from Los Angeles named Adonijah miyamura L, who had Food Forestry International, and so doing the work with Adonijah brought in. We hired Rashid to help us with some paperwork, and after he was done with that stint with us, he took the idea of creating small urban mini farms and he contacted me and said, what do you think about doing this? I said, I think it's doable. So he brought me to Georgia. We looked around and we looked at how green Georgia was, how, and green as far as um, vegetation and growth and how much organic material was available to build soil. But what wasn't here was the consciousness of The importance of a local food system. That was 2007. And people were like, well, we got food. We got supermarkets. We got food. There's no need. We didn't understand. They didn't understand the need for small farms throughout an urban area. What was, what's the purpose when I can buy food at the supermarket? So when you see the difference from just 2007 to 2015, it's amazing what Podcasts like yours do what the independent filmmakers do to raise the level of awareness around what is the difference between walking into a supermarket full of genetically engineered produce and knowing your farmer or going to a farmer 's market that is really the uh, the 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 work of of the cultural um, creatives that create. Content and media that help to educate the public and push them forward so that we can all catch up to the really necessary ideas and innovations of the practical things like building a new food
0: system. Yeah, well, I just want to touch on something real quick. So big-time hat tip to Pedram Sojay. You mentioned the independent filmmakers. So the reason I even know that you exist is there's a series of interviews that Pedram did as a result of uh, his documentary Origins, which I watched. Awesome. I'm going to link to Mm -hmm. your interview with Pedram in the show notes of this episode because I want people to watch There's just gold, that whole thing. I I told you when I was, before we got on here, I was like, I watched that three times, Eugene, and. Oh, my goodness. It was awesome every single time, and I took something new away from it. So it's really cool to see people like him shining a spotlight on people like you. But when you're talking about, so you get to uh, Georgia, you get to Atlanta, and people are like, hey, we're good here. Like We have an abundance of food. Why do we need to grow our own food? From your perspective, I know, like having abundance of food in terms of having it brought in literally from all around the world into a major metropolitan area like Atlanta, that abundance of food is very different than having a food abundance system system, which I know mm-hmm. is something that you talk about. So what does it mean to have a food abundance system?
1: What, what it means to have a food abundance system is that people within whatever the local area is that you're living in, like let's say a five or 10 mile radius from from your home, the people in that area are creating, even if they are producing 30% of the food that they intake, you're starting to move into a serious place of food sovereignty, which then allows for people to really explore their innate gifts and the gifts that they've come to to the world and, and how they've come to serve. Because when we look at all the great cultures, the great civilizations, they normally kind of sprout themselves around dynamic river systems and fertile valleys where they can have consistent agriculture and then born out of that food abundance. The system of food abundance along the Nile, and when you look at um, some of the uh, South American civilizations, from that you get great healers, musicians, thinkers, astronomers, nurses, midwives, families because once we know that our food system is secure and not secure with the uh, the intermediary of currency but secure in the fact that I can go outside and I can gather my food, or at least part of my food, a portion of my food for the day, then I have a sense of security and stability that allows me to now start to dream and to do the higher consciousness things that, that separate humans from the animal species, is that we are here to conceive of time, conceive of a future, conceive of a an internal reality and an external reality that is not necessarily uh, tangible. But you can't do that when you're hungry. So a food abundance system is one of the quickest ways to address poverty without having to go through legislation, without having to go through voting, because ultimately people are using currency so that they can eat and house themselves. So if we can eliminate one of those issues by making it a direct solution where we say, hey, if we have a public school system which we all have all in, all over the United States and our public school is already paying for irrigating the lawns and irrigating the vegetation around the school. Why not just do a simple transference and wherever you see shrubs, make them edible like blueberries, like pomegranate, like raspberries, wherever we have trees, let's make them or even a 10th of them fruit trees and put in oranges, put in guava, put in whatever it is that works in that region. And then you start to see you are, you're dealing with the childhood obesity issue. You're dealing with the issues of uh, whether or not children are coming to school and able to focus because you don't know what it is that they ate at home. If you can flood the cafeteria with fresh fruit that is grown on site, these are spaces where our tax dollars are being spent to irrigate fields, grass that they mow every. And they're charging, they're paying somebody to mow the grass, to fertilize the grass, to weed the grass. It's something we already have it worked into our budget. Public parks already have it worked into the budget. We just have to start thinking about edible landscaping along with mini farms, along with home gardens, along with rooftop gardens, that's a food abundance
0: system. Yeah, wow, you just went from A to Z in about four minutes and I hope people are following along. I was trying to, I was like, yep, interlinked, okay. A logical conclusion, yep, I'm with you. okay, wa- yeah. And I guess what you're talking about is, I-, I hadn't heard this term until I came across you, agroecology. And one yeah. of the principles, you were talking about planting bushes around schools or around yeah. around your home or just any yeah. communal area that you have in your community. Uh, that seems to be a pillar or maybe even a starting point for a lot of people. So getting into what can I do, whether I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota, or Atlanta, or LA, as far as agroecology goes, to, to kind of walk us through it in terms of what you recommend, and I know there's a lot in terms of where you are, the slope of the land, what kind of precipitation you get, what kind of climate zone you're in, but in general, Mm -hmm. is that where you often start when you're helping people out, is like, plant some fruit, some fruit trees, as kind of a, yeah? Why is that?
1: Absolutely. Um, For a couple different reasons. Fruit trees are going to be the skeleton of your system, because... You, you, most of the other things that we plant in a garden are going to be, um, seasonal and they're going to be, they're going to be annuals. You know, you're going to plant your tomatoes when it's tomato season. They're going to stay in the ground for three or four months. They're coming out. Same thing with your cabbage. Same thing with your carrots and radishes. Now, when you plant a fruit tree, a lot of people, there's different people who subscribe to different ways of eating. Some people are vegetarians. Some people are fruitarians. And the fruitarians tend to have a deeper nutrient level because you're eating from trees that are going to be 15, 30, 35 years old. Now, an avocado that's been in the same place for 40 years, its roots have gone so deep into the substructure of that soil to do deal with cleaner water and higher mineral content. Every year that that fruit tree is in the ground, it's producing a richer fruit a more nutrient-dense fruit because you're not pulling the tree up every year and planting a a peach every spring for your garden. The other part about it is that the fruit trees are going to create habitats. They're going to create shade systems, which create microclimates in areas where you might not have had um, enough protection to grow a garden when you first got there. It might have been a very hot, hot, bright area, and now you plant in two Overstories, maybe a couple fruit trees underneath, and then some understory shrubs, and you, in a two years, you have a microclimate zone where you have, where it cools and it shades, and now you can plant cabbage and you can plant collard greens in a place that's more protected. And the third reason is because it's a lot less maintenance. So when you say, what can I do? So if I'm a if I'm a young parent. Right. And uh, and I'm renting an apartment or I have a condominium and I don't have any space, but I take my child to this very progressive charter school. Then how about I talk to the school administrators and say, let's for every Earth Day in April, let's the parents get together and every Earth Day we're going to plant two fruit trees. And the parents of the school get together and plant two or three fruit trees every earth day around the school or, or pick a neighborhood where they can plant them mm-hmm. where, um, or pick a, uh, a senior center and then the children interact with some seniors. And they don't – that's a one-time thing. You go out there, you get a photo op, you put the tree in the ground, and then you commission somebody to water it once or twice a month. It's nowhere near the kind of maintenance as in – as when you go to a school and say, we want to start a school garden – Now you got to get the whole PTA involved, where is it going to be, how many people are going to be involved, who's going to maintain it over the summer. It's just a lot bigger to bite off when you're just starting to transfer into this kind
0: of lifestyle. Well, you touched on something that's really important, and hopefully we have time to do this some kind of service. I, I, I mean, this is a whole conversation in its own, but you were saying, like, go to a senior center. Engage with people in your community who might not have a lot of social interaction, who might be yearning for that sense of connection, uh, whether it's with younger people or who, it doesn't really matter what the age are. The community benefits of growing your own food. I know we could talk endlessly about the health benefits. You've already touched about it. Like that 40-year-old avocado tree is just plain more nutritious than other things mm-hmm. that you're going to get. Uh, and I know we could talk about the mental, spiritual, emotional benefits of it. And maybe we'll hit on some of those things. But first, you're... When I think about, and I'm all about community building too, but when I think about people who are just really rallying community and building community, you're one of the first people who comes to mind now. Tell us a little bit about thank what you. you've seen, what you've experienced about the community benefits of having people rally around these local food systems and getting this portion of food sovereignty that we all want.
1: Mm, yeah, Joel, thank you for that. One of the I think one of the most successful things that we've been able to do um, – is that our organization, Grow Where You Are, we've been partnering with local churches here in Atlanta uh, with doing a food and faith uh, project. And one of the things that we've done is we've realized that most all faiths have um, a belief in serving people and a belief in, in the garden as being kind of the sprouting point of humanity. And I was fortunate enough, I say, to to have not been raised in the church or in any formal faith, my father always said, basically, nature is, is your, is your church. So that allows me to kind of interface with any faith. And so we are partnering with, um, Atlanta Good Shepherd Community Church, and we're, we have the agroecology center on about two acres that is connected to that church. And we have had two very amazing, um, gatherings called Gather Around the Medicine Wheel. Um, our operations coordinator, Nicole blue had written a grant to get, to put in a native plant medicine wheel. And we decided to have a feast around this, um, this feature in the garden. And we had a fire pit, dug out this fire pit, and we've been selling our produce to one of the top restaurants in the Southeast region, which is called empire state South. And they're located in midtown, right in the middle of a really beautiful, um, kind of business district. And the chef over there, Josh Hopkins, said, hey, I'm going to bring my team. We're going to get in the fire pit and we're going to cook this food for people. And they came and prepared an all-vegan feast for the members of the community who we invited. And our farm is right off the freeway. People came in and we fed about 150 to 200 people a vegan feast using Um, oyster mushroom and lion's mane mushroom as the meat substitutes. And these people came and ate for free. It was people from all different classes, all different social groups, all different um, ethnic groups. And they came and they ate for free from top chefs in Atlanta who were inside of a fire pit cooking this food up for them. And we put out the beautiful tables, tablecloths, but they're sitting outside outside. You know, in in the cool evening air and everyone's talking and interfacing, no agenda, no uh, no ask for money, no kind of fundraiser type of vibes, but just let's come and eat together. So what we have seen is that the strongest things that we can do is eat together. But we can't eat together until we have an abundance of food being grown. The only reason we were able to do that is because we had – set up this system for three years prior, and we had just gotten the soil strong enough, we had just gotten the system strong enough that there was an abundance of food that we could take at peak harvest, set it aside, and not think that we had to take it to market and make money for it, but set it aside, bring it to the restaurants, and they prepped it for three days before the event. And then people could come and eat, and we could offer the food because we had it in abundance. Hmm. So the first way to get people involved for me is not to bring them out to a garden to work and on a hot day. The first way to get people involved is to say, hey, let's come have a meal. We're inviting you to a free community feast. Come and sit down and eat. And people are going to be like, really?
0: You say, Look, <laughs> That's what I'm um, thinking. I'm like, really, Eugene? Where do I get in on that too? Why wouldn't you?
1: And, and you can do it. You can do it. There's an amazing video that's on our Facebook page. Um, You just have to kind of scroll down, I think, to any time around June 22nd, because we did it on the solstice. And um, uh, somebody was a part of the festival, and I didn't know. I just saw him walking around with a camera. And the next day, this young man had edited this beautiful video of the event, and it was called Gather Around the Medicine Wheel. And that's what we've seen is the best way, because now you get intergenerational communication, and you know, when people are eating, Joel, they just start to conjure up memories of how they cooked it or how their mama cooked okra or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now you see people from from Russia talking to people from Sudan, because you can find that mix in Atlanta and in most metropolitan cities now. And we're comparing what we all do with a tomato and how different it is if you were raised in an Italian household or if you were raised in an Ethiopian household or how similar it is what you do with that tomato, right?
0: Matt, I'm just fascinated by everything you just said. There's so much that I like about it. Uh, but by the way, I'm going. I'll find that video that you mentioned on the Grow mm-hmm. Where You Are Facebook page, and I'll link to that in the show mm-hmm. notes too. But I'll make sure whether it's on YouTube or Vimeo or wherever it is that people who want to take a look at it. I know I certainly do. Uh, they can get that oh, in the show mm-hmm. notes for this episode. The the strategy, the community aspect, the fact that you're, the Good Shepherd Farm that you have right off of Interstate 20 in Atlanta that's awesome, mm-hmm. and I. I imagine you did that on purpose so that people would drive by and think, "What the, what the heck is that?" Like someone's got a farm in our city. I got to stop exactly. in and see what's going on, and maybe even it's become so a purposeful. part of it, learn about it. Yeah, it's it's
1: purposeful, and 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 the blessings that have come from it are amazing. Because just, mm, I guess it was about two months ago, a gentleman pulled off pulled off the freeway, and he said, "Hey, I I saw this farm, and I'm so amazed by it." And his name is Derek, and he runs an organization or a business called Direct Sun Solar Energy. And he came and decided, he said, you know, I was going to pay for advertising and they told me how much it was. And I'd rather just put up a system right here at your farm to run your well. And we'll put up the solar panels, the batteries, everything for free. If we can put up a sign, because how many thousands of people are already looking down at our farm? And now he put in solar, a solar system to run our well, so now we have clean water running on clean energy, all because our location is ideal.
0: Yeah. And I remember you were telling me about this before when we just had a brief chat. The municipality came in, you got the, the folks in Atlanta, like the city people involved, and now you can power things on your farm, your well goes 300 feet down. That is a super cool story. Just by setting yeah. up shop with a very intentional, very strategic way and having people come to you. You're obviously great at going to people and bringing them together, but just being good. And I mean, if you're going to do something, if you're going to grow something, if you're going to make big trees... Be proud of it. Let people know about it. Let people inquire and bring them into it. I want to get into a little bit of the how-to. You've got some super cool methods. There's some really cool videos, short ones too. I mean, they don't take much time investment at all, like four to five minutes on different strategies you use. So the first one I'd love you to comment on, uh, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation. I know it's a German word, Hugelkuter. Mm -hmm. Did I nail it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Hugo culture, yes, real Hugo close. Culture. You might have actually said it better than I than I said. It. I don't quite know. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why we always call it native planting mounds. Because what what happened is the um, the native native people here to North America were constantly growing. They were constantly clearing areas, taking that old rotted wood, piling it up, covering it with shrubs, covering it with flipped over soil. And then covering it in compost, and then planting food on these mounds because you have so much more planting space. And when we first came to the Good Shepherd site, it was it was rough to say the least. It's a flood floodplain area, and all the the plants were sitting in in um, deep water, and the roots were all rotted. And they people had been tilling the soil for with rototillers for about four years, so everything was compacted. And none of the water was draining. And yet there was two large trees on the site that needed to come down, a tulip poplar and an oak. It had been attacked by termites as well as um, storms. And so uh, Nicole Blue and myself said, okay, let's have the trees taken down, but let's leave all the material on site. And think about doing this style of growing where you just kind of layer in all this rotted material cover it with soil and compost, and then it becomes like a living compost system, but at the same time raises these plants up out of the flood water so that their root systems can actually breathe and not be suffocated by the standing water. And it worked fantastic, but it didn't truly show its results for about a year and a half. So people were coming to the site and thinking that we didn't know what what we were doing. (laughs) because they saw these big mounds that took a tremendous amount of energy for us to create and a lot of people and volunteer hours. And the plants on the mounds looked sick because the temperature of the mounds was so hot internally because they were totally combusting and they were just composting and everything we planted in it the roots just were like, oh, we, it can't be so hot under here and also be July in Atlanta on top and think we're going to live.
0: Yeah.
1: So everything burned up, and people said, we told you this was a bad idea, this was a bad idea, this was a bad idea. We knew what was happening. We just had to be quiet and wait. And we planted these mounds with turnips and all this kind of stuff right in the fall, and we had one of the coldest winters ever. And schools shut down. We actually had snow in Atlanta, Everything froze. Everybody lost all their crops. But the mounds were so warm inside. We would come out to the farm, and the farm would be covered in snow, but the mounds would have no snow on them. (laughs) And I'd say, okay, these things have their own internal temperature. All the turnip greens had died and all that. We thought everything was dead. The moment the snow that went away, all those turnips that were in the mounds re-sprouted full of green. We pulled out turnip bulbs and globes that were big enough to fill my hand. And no one else had a crop that year in Atlanta during the fall and the winter because everything had frozen. But the temperature of the mounds had kept these things warm throughout freezing temperatures.
0: Ah, super So
1: we started to see, yeah, we're starting to see all these things. They they, um, conserve water. We have fruit trees growing out of these mounds now. We've seen a lot of different things. And again, like the native planting mound video is on Vimeo, and it shows you how to build it. And you can look up Hugo culture and find out even more. We just know what, what we've experienced with the technique.
0: Yeah. And it's, it seems really simple and relatively low-maintenance with most of the things that you do. Yeah, it is,
1: especially in places where you actually have uh, trees.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. I just... Watching the video, like the sense of awe at what you're talking about, you can plant three times more produce by being able to plant on top and along the sides of the mounds. And you're just like, look at this. Look at this, everybody. You can start a plot in one afternoon's worth of work with a few friends or family members. That's it. Like, you can get started with just a couple of people and just a few hours. Simple things, basic things, low-maintenance things. So that, uh, that style of growing that you're using is really cool. You touched about uh, water, of course, is relatively important when it comes to growing things, and you're talking about floodplains and snow and different kinds of precipitation. I would imagine, so some people are thinking, okay, but I'm, I'm in L.A. right now, and where do I get the water, or how do I know where my water is coming from? So is there some kind of guidance that you have? If I'm living in a place where water is scarce— how do I harness whatever is available in order to to feed the things that they need some level of water in order to grow and thrive?
1: Yeah, there's a couple really interesting answers there. Um, there is, uh, there was. I'm, I don't know if the nursery's still there, but there was a nursery called Exotic Nursery out in Escondido that that specialized in um, subtropical and and native. Fruiting plants, which is always where my focus is, but with my, my family still lives in in California, and my mother called me and said she was going to transform her front yard to a to a zero scape type of um, native plant system. And so, the first thing I would say for anybody who's living in that kind of situation, because the drought situation in Atlanta and LA is is both natural and caused by over pumping from the aquifers for commercial agriculture. So you got a couple different things that are kind of running against this situation. The first thing I would say is explore medicinal natives and then small native shrubs that are fruiting shrubs that actually thrive in harsh conditions. Like for example, um apricots are actually a plant that is that likes drought or more drought Type of situations, and certain guavas will do. Um, there's something called a, a jujube that would that will do it. Um, some of the goji berries will actually do that. They'll survive in those systems. The other thing is to, if you if you happen to be a homeowner, you might want to look at to, into Bill Mollison's work, um, Introduction to Permaculture. And in his book, he shows some really simple systems for taking the repiping. Real simple repiping of the drain that goes underneath your, your kitchen sink to where it gets, that water gets piped out into a, a garden that's right in the kitchen area, provided that you're already using soaps like Dr. Bronner's or something that are not chemical based, right? And if you're using some really eco-friendly dish soaps and hand soaps, then you can have the water from your sink go directly out to your garden into a, a a pipe that is corrugated and has you know certain amount of holes in it and you can water your garden using the water that you're already paying for, right? That's not even trapping water off a roof or anything like that. And you can do the same thing with allowing um, water thats that you're trapping off of a roof when it does rain. Yeah, rain and barrels. Then mulch, and, yeah. yeah, rain barrels and then just mulch really heavily with any kind of, shredded plant material that will allow the soil to be covered and not lose so much of the, um, of the water through evaporation.
0: I don't know how to communicate. This is, I love podcasting and I love the audio medium, but I can't communicate eyes bulging, which is what my eyes are doing right now. I'm like, Oh my goodness. You're basically giving me zero reasons to, (laughs) to just do nothing. I've got all these right. ideas, a lot of which I can do right now. So actually, let's—if you don't mind—just kind of a quick lightning round. I know you've got like this thing and that thing, and what about this? And it doesn't matter what kind of resources you have, or where you live, or whether you're rich or whether you're poor, or whether you have friends or whether you don't. In terms of things, whether it's the winter or whether it's the summer. I mean, I'm I'm in Minnesota, so it gets really really that's cold.
1: That's a pretty here. tough one.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty tough one. And But in terms of things that I could do right now, or let's say the season changes, or maybe even I can help someone else if I'm visiting a friend or a family member in a different state, can you tell us, like, planting a garden with one item, growing some herbs in a box, do you have some things where you can just say, and we don't necessarily need to get into, like, how you actually do it, but just really simple things that... If people are struggling and like, okay, Eugene and Joel, I get it, guys. Like, I'm feeling inspired, but there's nothing. I'm not grasping on anything here. Like, you haven't told me something that I feel like I can do right now. Do you have a couple oh, of things yeah, that yeah. you want to hit on and and be like, hey, yeah. here's another few? Definitely.
1: So one of the things about being a parent and, uh, is and is that we all are like school teachers, you know, and then I was also a school teacher and my mother was a school teacher. So there's a powerful thing with understanding everybody learns differently. And some people really need the tactile experience. Some people need the visual experience. Some people are getting it from what what they're hearing us say. So what I would say for everybody, something that everybody can do no matter where you are. First thing is, Go just do a simple bit of research to find out the university in your area that has a botanical garden or the city botanical garden. Go to that botanical garden and just walk through because that space is growing a variety of plants under the same conditions that you're in because they're in your city. And most of those places are going to have these things labeled. The plants are actually going to be labeled. So you might be looking for beauty. You might be looking for shade tolerant. You might be looking for drought tolerant. All of it's going to be in front of you. And you're going to be moving through a real experience that's beyond just Joel and myself talking. So first thing is visit botanical gardens in your area, either university or uh, municipal botanical gardens. Second thing is do the same research for community gardens and uh, urban farms because they're around and they always need volunteers. So sign up to go and volunteer at a community garden, whether it's at a homeless shelter, whether it's at a school, whether it's at a elder uh, uh, a place for elder care, there's all types of community gardens that are springing up for all types of different modalities and reasons, and go there as a volunteer and keep your questions to a minimum. Because what people want from you when you come to volunteer is for you to do the simple task that they're asking you to do. They may just say, hey, can you pull weeds out of this bed? Don't come there asking about companion planting and all this, because then you become a drain on the system. Because what they really need you to do is just come and experience, and you're gonna get so much more if you come and do If they say, hey, move these rocks from here to here, you're going to walk through the garden and you're going to see things. If they say, pull the weeds out of this bed, in that bed, you're going to get something from that that experience. And then when you come back, each time you come back, you're going to watch things change. And they're going to gift you plants. They're going to gift you seeds. They're going to gift you fruit. They're going to gift you vegetables. Because that's just the nature of those of us who grow. Mm -hmm. You're going to get gifted. You just have to be. Willing
0: to serve first, as long as you channel the spirit of the teenage years of Eugene on the farm in Kansas, being okay with silence, moving through mm-hmm. your natural environment, and receiving instead of trying to transmit mm-hmm. and talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm sensing a theme. Uh, can I, offer, mm-hmm. I just because I was so captivated by your world and what you're doing? Uh, there's a few other things here. I'm sure you could hit on them. Do you mind if I just kind of go rapid fire and be like, hey, I don't want to overwhelm you, f- people, like. Uh, you fo- the person who's listening right here like our friends the folks who are regular listeners or first-time listeners we're grateful for them all but there's other things too yep. you mind if i offer up a few you, oh, it's not like this has to be exhaustive here but there's other stuff like saving the seeds that you get from fruit at the grocery store plant it mm-hmm. put it in the ground anybody can plant a tree as long as you have access to some lands like signing up for a csa community supported mm-hmm. agriculture preferably with your friends who you can share your bounty with and bond, grow food, uh or like make meals together and build community around the food. Do you have other things that you want to touch on?
1: Yo, those those are really good ideas. I would say um visit a farmer's market. Just make it like a date, you know what I mean? Just go to some farmers markets and then that way you get to see all this food laid out in front of you. There's the the grower is there and you can ask them, Hey, did you grow this? Did you grow this here? How far are you from where we are? What do you do in these kind of situations as far as drought or heavy sun or heavy rain or whatever? Um, the other thing is really start to get involved in looking at the media and the material that's out. I uh, wrote a book called Grow Where You Are. And in the back of the book, I have a suggested reading and a suggested film list. And there's films that, that people just need to see. You know, Food Matters is a great one. Life and debt is a good one. Food Inc. is a good one. The secret life of plants. The future of food. When you start to kind of inundate yourself with the new information, you're going to get excited and you're going to see things that are going to really resonate with you.
0: Well, I I know this is just one more quick thing. Uh, And I don't know why I haven't done this before. My wife and I, we have a a garden outside. It's a 6 foot by 12 foot. And we grow squash and greens, romaine and... Uh, kale and some other things that are in there. It's relatively small, but we've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old. We don't let them mess around in there. We kind of have it fenced off. We don't want the squirrels and the rabbits to get in there, but letting my kids get their hands dirty and plant some stuff, teaching them about the value of the earthworms as we dig in there and be like, hey, check this out. This is important. Like This is a value. That's something that I know I'm going to do a little bit more as a result of your influence. Uh, hey, uh, we, we can go on, but I I guess maybe this is a good stopping point, at least for this point in time. I just want to ask you one more thing, Eugene. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you'd like people to know?
1: I think the only thing we really need to do is just keep people focused on being able to be in touch with us, and, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk again, so... If they can just check us out at growwhereyouare.farm, growwhereyouare.farm. That's the best way to get in touch with us. It has our Facebook page Grow Where You Are, and uh, another Facebook page is the Good Shepherd Agroecology Center. And we are grateful to to share this, and we look forward to doing whatever we can to keep the conversation running.
0: What's one thing that people can do without actually showing up uh, and being where you are to help you out and to support you directly in terms of what you're doing?
1: The best way is to is to order the e-book because that's the easiest way for me to get the information out. It's the easiest way for me to receive financial support for the work that we're doing, and we don't have to use any paper, and I can just email you an electric book. The book is at our website at growwhereyouare.farm. You go to the merchandise page. I think it's the only merchandise we have. It's my book, Grow Where You Are, and it has... A wonderful list of companion plants for your garden, of suggested readings, suggested films, and some history and some um, ideas about why to grow food in your own neighborhood.
0: Right on. Well, you just made a sale right here. I know I'm getting your book. Yay. I hope a lot wonderful. of other people are too. I'm going to have a link to Grow Where You Are in the show notes as well. Uh, Eugene, wow. S- seriously, I'm, I'm stunned at this point in time with the potential Uh, not in terms of what you're doing and the impact that you're going to have, but me as an individual or me as a family or me as a neighborhood or me like as a community member, what I can do and how I can bring people together. It's just amazing the potential and the empowerment that I have all throughout the year. So thank you for that. And I hope other people are smiling and nodding along and they've gotten as much out of it as I have because I just got a masterclass.
1: Yay, thank you. And if you have a feast, just send us an invite, and, uh, and especially <laughs> if Prince is
0: going to be there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll work on the Prince thing, too. And when he's holding court and when I'm there, I'll make sure that you get an invite to that.
1: <laughs> okay, good.
0: good. <laughs> All right. Now, like me, you know the difference between having abundant food and having a food abundance system. I think, I hope... Maybe, perhaps, yeah, definitely. You learned how to simply, quickly, and powerfully bring a community together through growing food, and maybe even how to pronounce "Hugel culture." Hugel culture. I humbly but strongly suggest you get a copy of Eugene's book. It's called "Grow Where You Are: An Introduction to Urban Agriculture for the Conscious Urban Dweller," because. I'm about to crack open a copy soon, and I would love to compare notes with you. You'll find a link to the book and the tons of resources Eugene unloaded on us in the show notes at valueofsimple.com slash SASM083. You'll find timestamps, takeaways, and more grooviness as well in the show notes. Once again, valueofsimple.com slash SASM083. You're also going to see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community via Patreon at valueofsimple.com slash Patreon. If you're not already a podcast subscriber, email newsletter getter dude or <laughs> dudette. Maybe want to leave a brief iTunes review. You're going to find links to all that jazz at valueofsimple.com slash SASM083. You can you tell I'm messing with the outro as well as the intro? Let's have some fun with it. If you're feeling it or feeling queasy with all my cheesy, hey, just let me have it. I thrive on connecting with you, and I rely on your insight to make this show better. If you have something to share, I am all eyes and ears. You know, there's mouth and body and other things too, but mostly eyes and ears. My email is joel at valueofsimple.com. I'm on Twitter, at Zaslowski. And I'm proudly active on Google Plus, if that's your thing. I'm a lot of places, actually. So I invite you to connect with me wherever we both are. If that happens to be at Simple Rev 2015 in Minneapolis on October 2nd and 3rd, 2015? Well then, get ready for your hug. Multiple hugs. If you got something out of this episode or just generally dig the show, would you share it with some groovy folks, please? People are depending on you to point them to the good stuff, and I am always super grateful when you show some love by talking about what we're building here together. You, you are awesome constantly kicking my booty to do better and truly make this show possible. It's now time for your partner in Simplifying to sign off again. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zaslavsky creator of all things value of simple.